Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Silvatis podcast. This week, I've got Louise Carruthers, who is an osteopath, joining me, and we're going to be talking about all things pregnancy-related and pediatric osteopathy. So welcome, Louise. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, yeah. How are you today? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, how are you? Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you because obviously we know each other from when we were both at BCom. So I was, you were my clinic tutor at the time and um, now we're colleagues. Yay. And friends. Yeah, I hope so. Because you're teaching now at BCom too, aren't you? I am. Yeah. yeah. And you all made it look so easy. Well, it kind of is. When you've got a nice bunch of students, it, it just kind of flows. And it's an extension of what we do every day anyway, because yeah. everybody that works there, um, apart from the admin team, and maybe even some of the admin team, we're all osteopaths day to day. Yeah. And what made you get into teaching? It just, I, I think I always wanted to be a teacher, even before I studied osteopathy, it was a choice between do I go off and study biology or do I study osteopathy? And I kind of, I think it was not a case of whether I was going to do it. It was more a case of when, um, because I was very young when I trained to be an osteopath. I graduated, I think at the age of maybe 22, 23. Um, and we had such a mix of, such a mix of students in there I kind of wanted to get a bit of um, life under my belt before I came and and um, practice to teaching and so what influenced you so you would must have come straight from school then into mm -hmm. osteopathy and so what made you want to choose osteopathy as as a degree and even as a career um I kind of fell into it without sounding too strange I mean my one of my sisters um was a young baby when she saw an osteopath um and I hope she, I hope she's allowing me to say that and um my other sister saw quite a few physios and osteopaths in her teens I did for migraines when I was in my teens and it and it really helped and the idea that you know <laughs> The idea that it could help um, and that the body heals itself and it just at the time it made sense and I love the fact that every day is different you're getting to meet all of these wonderful people um, both colleagues and patients and you know what a, a, a clinic day is what you make of it you know it could either be you know feeling bored and and seeing just in your mind seeing backs all day every day or you can go well actually this person's got this back pain and there's this reason and maybe there's that reason and are they how are they responding to treatment is there something I'm missing there's always something to learn and you talked about coming back and wanting to get some more life experience under your belt so mm. for me it's quite different because I came into it as a second career what did you feel you needed when you finished or graduated from BCom? Um, I think in terms of life experience, I, it was more a case of how to how to communicate and handle patients and 
different expectations because that hasn't always been a strong suit of mine. Um, and also just to get out and learn and, and experience. And um, I worked in quite a few different types of practices through the years, um, from working in lone practice to being in big group practice to being in multidisciplinary practice. Um, and it, I think that really helped me in talking to the students and talking to the patients. I also went and did an extra degree before coming back. I did a teaching qualification um, before I came back to teach as well, because um, it was a, a really kind of strange turning point when I was doing my degree, because the year before us got a BSc, um, our year got a BOST med, and then the following year they all got masters. Um, so I then <laughs> made the decision that, I wanted at least the same grad, uh, the same qualification as you guys, if not more, which in hindsight is quite silly because, you know, I, I, at that stage I had, I think, eight years, nine years in practice. So, yeah. Wow. But one of the best things is I got to graduate with one of my best friends. Oh, so, that's sweet. Her with her undergrad and me with my postgrad. And what was it like? Because not a lot of... Um at least not a lot of tutors that I know, have educational sort of degrees mm. to teach. How has that shaped the way you approach your teaching style? I think it has made me really think about um, feedback in particular. Um, I am terrible at um, looking at myself. I find that a very painful process actually uh, looking at negative aspects and how I can improve. And it's really helped particularly because at BCom you have to give so much feedback, so much feedback, I didn't realize. Um, and actually the team are really great. Um, I'm really lucky with um, Gemma because quite often I'll go to her and I'll be like, Gemma, I really want to say this and I really want to phrase it like this, but I don't, I actually have had this conversation, by the way. Um, I really don't want it to say, say it in a way that the students are either going to switch off or they're not going to be able to take that, con that constructively or that I'm gonna, just going to sound really harsh um, or that I'm just being too nice. <laughs> but Gemma's really good at helping me phrase things especially at the beginning. Yeah, and she's been at it for so long as well. She's a pro at this point. Oh, she's an epic manager, you know. She really is. Yeah. Yeah. And so coming away from teaching then, mm. you talked about sort of working in, in different types of practices um, mm. and you talked about working at a multidisciplinary practice. Yep. Now, I've not been out there as long, so having come in from a different career, I can imagine that's got a new or a different dynamic to the whole way the, the maybe the office operates. What's it like? What was it like for you working in an MDT approach? Um, it was actually, it was really refreshing because I've worked in a chiropractic clinic and their approach is, is quite different, although we all do a, a fairly similar job. 
I mean, they were very good chiropractors um, and they were nice people, but they were a lot more um, business minded, I think. Whereas I'm, uh, I mean, they are patient led and it's patient centered care. Anyway, yeah, I'm not, I think maybe I'm not the, the right kind of person to come in and, and run a run a business. Um, and the other clinic I worked at is um, I worked in a clinic where I was uh, the only osteopath for a while with physio, acupuncturist, who was also a nurse, um, Pilates, yoga, sports massage, beauty, you name it. But everybody had something different to, to say and something different to learn from. I certainly learned a lot from the Pilates and yoga. I certainly learned a lot from my physio colleagues. Um, we all ended up very good friends, actually, I like to think. Um, but it just kind of shows that there are different perspectives. You know, osteopathy is a great approach, but it's not always the approach. You know, and even within the same, even within the same profession, we all work slightly differently. You know, whether or not that's to to um, compensate for something that's going on with the patient or with our own bodies, or there's a specific style that we like to work in. It, it all varies so much. I think my practice changes, you know, month by month. Well, that's one thing that that interests me is is how has your practice evolved since you graduated and then started teaching and you continued to practice? Oh, massively, massively. I I kind of think palpation skills have changed a lot, um, particularly in the last few years. So I've I've been in practice now for twelve years, um, and I think you know the more you practice, the 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 better things get um, and the more well in some ways you get certain biases like you you like to work a certain way um, but half the challenge is challenging yourself to be able to expand your repertoire or refine it um, or just to take a look back at, at what you're doing and and um, even having a look at, you know, things that we thought in our minds that acted a certain way or certain doctrines, whether or not they're still the right thing all these years later. I think the students are really good at challenging me for that. <laughs> we tried. Um, oh, I know. It's good. It's good. And I always sometimes I'll go in and I'll see a student doing something and I'll be like, oh, I hadn't thought about doing that. That looks like fun. So I go off and give it a try or. Um, there's certain techniques that I may prefer for certain areas of the body and we get we then have to go and demonstrate a whole plethora of different techniques and then I have to go away and reread and relearn and refresh normally it's not necessarily the technique itself it's it's how I explain it and the what wording you use um but that then changes because what suited me you know when I was back in my 20s now doesn't suit me as well as in my 30s yeah. you know 
dealing with a bump that <laughs> as well that changes life I was going to say we're okay to say that you're expecting your first child yeah yeah and that's really exciting in itself oh yeah it is it is I'm so excited for this chapter um but also quite apprehensive about what life is going to bring because with covid found out we were pregnant relocated across the country so um I haven't been practicing for a little while, which is the longest I've been without seeing patients in the whole time I've practiced and even before practicing um, in private practice. So it's always a bit daunting, but I, I don't think you can unlearn 12 years worth of practice. Definitely not. Yeah. And so let's touch upon that a bit. So you know, you said this is the longest break you've had from not treating. What's that been like for you? So weird. So weird. In some ways, it, it's nice to give my body a break, but it's still growing a baby. So it's not really had that much of a break. Um, but at the same time, I've really missed the social side because a lot of what I love about working with patients is actually talking to them and finding out their individual story and getting to know them. Um, I'm a really nosy person <laughs> in some ways, and I, I really like to um, actually just talk to people. And by talking to people, you can really find out um, better ways, I think, sometimes of how to tailor their treatment or how to tailor their, their rehab. I'm not the best at prescribing exercises, but if I know somebody likes to do a particular particular sport or they like to do a particular thing, then it makes life a bit easier than going, oh, well, go just go off and do, you know, some knee extensions or do some bicep curls. I mean, how boring is that? <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. And so... It sounds like it's it's more the interaction with not just the patients, but your colleagues as well that you tend to, to miss when you don't necessarily treat. And I imagine yeah. that'll be, you know, other people would have identified with that, especially if they've, you know, not practiced over lockdown and over this whole period of COVID. It's been quite a roller coaster, I think, for everyone. I've been watching um, the forums and it, there's been a lot of uncertainty because I think there's just uncertainty in general, you know, uh, uh, the IO has been doing a great job at sort of keeping us going and, and also giving advice and liaising with Public Health England and really giving us guidelines what to and not to do. Um, but it, it was really quite scary um, being pregnant during lockdown and not knowing um, it was only after sort of lockdown was easing that they started saying, OK, well, you know, it's only really in your third trimester that you start to become a medium risk because they were talking about us being high risk. Um, and then there was no um, indication as to whether or not it would affect the baby. And, but, and I had all the family being a bit worried about being patient facing. So, so it was quite it's been quite an interesting few months yeah and one of the things you said earlier was that when you worked at a chiropractic clinic mm. 
you know, they were a lot more business minded um, than maybe, um, well, I know I certainly am not. Um, yeah. Why do you think there is that disparity between sort of osteopathic students emerging and graduating with the level of business mind or the business training versus maybe a chiropractor? I think they do get a lot more mentoring in terms of how to run a business than we do. Um, I know when I did it all those years ago that we maybe had one module um, on how to run a business. Um, I have done some training since. Part of my master's degree was um, business management and practice management and doing extra courses as well. Um, I am very much... Um, patient focused and I'm more happy um, not necessarily thinking about my finances I kind of think they'll follow <laughs> they'll follow as long as I'm doing a good enough job and I'm you know seeing patients and I don't necessarily think about how many times I'm going to get somebody in or um, I just like to work with people until you know while it's making a difference if it's not making a difference then maybe either they need a different approach or they need to they need to get something investigated um i've never really been financially driven if that makes sense and i think that'll resonate with so many people listening or watching is mm. we tend to be patient focused and mm. that's your your driving factor not that it isn't for other people but no no you don't think, okay, I need to see X amount of, of patients this day in order to cover these costs in order then to yeah. progress into something else or invest back into the company because I well, never really you, thought about that. Mind you, that is something that I found helpful doing the degree um, is we had to sit do and do uh, sit down and do a cash flow analysis. Um, so I worked out how many patients I need to see in order to cover like to, to cover my mortgage or my rent and food and geosk and you know roughly how many I'd need to break even in a week and mm -hmm. versus how many I'd need to see to make a decent living and it was actually it was quite interesting you know that that thinking about it because it gave me a bit of freedom because they got to a point where I was like okay so I need to see x number of patients a week which was Hmm. it wasn't as high as I thought it was going to be okay. um luckily I'm quite I'm quite a frugal person in my private life um and you know it's it, once I got past that threshold I could I could go okay well actually I can kind of relax now because every patient I see now is because I want to be here and because it's a bonus hmm. you know and Actually, that was a really nice way to, to feel about it rather than going, oh, my God, oh, my God, am I going to break even? Yeah, and especially for new graduates coming in or, or recent graduates, I know that's definitely a worry that we had or, or they have um, is, you know, you spent four years doing this degree, which is which in itself is is it's hard. It's not an easy thing. And then you graduate and you think I've paid my dues. I've done the work. I'm going to go out there. And sometimes it can it's it's really hard. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's been <laughs> my in my personal um, work life has kind of been a bit of a one of those weird things because we 
graduated in 2008, which was just before the financial crash. Um, mm. So the first financial. So I think I was I was graduated in like the July, started work in the August, and then the finances started going sort of bit tits up not long after, didn't it? And yeah. then um, when I finished my master's degree, it was Brexit. <laughs> got a mortgage so it was it's you know and now I'm having a baby and it's covered so I I obviously pick my moments but you know it's but it it teaches you a bit of resilience doesn't it and I I like the fact that there are a few opportunities like I remember listening back to Beth's podcast um a few weeks ago and thinking god I'm glad that she's in like a um employed position because that means that then she can she doesn't have to worry about that financial side either you know and she can just she can get on with treating patients and learning and developing and that must be a comfort I mean there's there's plus sides and downsides to being employed and self-employed there's there's always pluses and minuses yeah it's a bit of a blurry blurry blur in our our sorry pregnancy um there is there are blurred lines I think in some practices between the difference between somebody who's self-employed and employed um and I'm in a way I'm kind of glad listening to some of the younger practitioners how and watching some of the younger practitioners who I've worked with how much more um they stick up for themselves which I love, I love. Yeah, and it didn't strike me until I think I was having lunch with a couple of friends. This is before the rule of six came back in, it's fine. Yeah. Um, and one thing that struck me was one, how strong a group, um, and they're all people I graduated with, all osteopaths, yeah. and how strong and resilient they all were. Because we were talking about sort of the jobs that we had taken, and you know what we had expected and what didn't go to plan and what what did and what struck me was you know as a group we weren't willing to not compromise because that's not the wrong that's not the right word but willing to sacrifice in order to please an employer or go with the flow it's you know this is the agreement that we made this is what i'm doing and this is what you have to do in return mm-hmm. It's a double-edged sword, isn't it? It's a double-edged sword. I do believe in good faith, and I do, I I work a lot in good faith. Um, but there does have to be, there there has to be that two-way, two-way good faith. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, and it's not to say that every practice oh, out God, there no. isn't. There are really great practices out there. Oh yeah, and there are some very very good head of practices really good really good yeah I think it sometimes just takes at least it takes it took me a while to figure all that out yeah and I think sometimes even if you're finding the environment challenging there's always something that you can learn from it yeah so even if you're learning that's not the environment that I want to be in permanently then I still think that's an important lesson and Mm. turning around to yourself and saying well why doesn't that work for me you know, what is it that I'm looking for? Um, 
And actually, is that me or is that something within the system that needs to change? Is that is that like systemic within the profession? Is that is that systemic within this particular business? Is this something we can change together? I think that's, that's just a life lesson, really, isn't it? Yeah, preach. <laughs> And that's such a testament to who you are, I think, as a person. You've always come across as such a positive, sort of glass half full, optimistic, and just open um, type of tutor when I was a student. Thank you. Um, and I remember particularly um, when we're in clinic and, you know, we, we finished clinic, it's the end of the that, that, um, that evening or whatever, and, you know, we're tired, we're all hungry, we're all tired, we all just want to, you know, rip off our tunics and go home. And I think you were one of the few, tu few tutors, if not the only one, who sat us down um, whilst we were, like, finishing up notes and getting our notes signed and just asking us to reflect on that clinic session. Yeah, not everybody likes that, you know. <laughs> the psychology in me loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I try and phrase that quite, uh, quite distinctly in terms of not just trying to think about the negative so my favorite questions at the end of a clinic day is so what what have you learned from today and what have you done really well um it doesn't have to be in that order and I think sometimes students don't like reflecting as part of the group because they kind of feel like they're revealing their weaknesses or I don't know but I kind of think if one person's learning a lesson, everybody else is going to have learned that lesson or will do somewhere along the line. It's not a place of judgment. I don't do it to judge people. But I find it equally interesting if people can't actually think about what they've done well. I actually find that more disconcerting when a student can't see what they've, what a positive thing for the day. Um, so. And do you get, I remember the first few times you asked and it's, it was so um, hard for me to be able to say something because positive, because you're always so easy to go on the critique. Mm -hmm. I and am say, too. Well, I, I forgot how to do my cranial nerve testing or I didn't, you know, I didn't, yeah, I just performed this technique correctly. My hands were in the wrong position. My body wasn't anchored and all that kind of stuff and then to be asked okay what did you do well and you just think what and the first couple of times I thought she's a bit crazy right like this can't be for real like what's going on but in a lovely way because I thought no one's asking this of us oh I'm surprised I'm surprised and I'm, I'm kind of glad to hear the positive feedback about it thank you yeah and so where did that come for, from for you uh, I think that came from doing the PG Cert Ace at BSO, now UCO. Mm -hmm. um, so that was one of the things we had to do for critical reflection. So we had to do it ourselves at the end of when we were doing teaching. So I thought, why not bring it to you guys? Because we're supposed to be reflective practitioners, especially with the new GEOSC um, regs. So why not get you thinking about it? And why not? actually in the fourth year you've got so much going on like we all know it we all you know I'm not there to pile more stuff on top of you but it does you good to actually see the positives every now and again 
rather than going, oh, I'm just rubbish doing everything. I've got this essay. I've got that essay. I've got this patient and I have no idea what to do with them. Yeah. Or I've got this thing going on in my personal life. And do and you take some of that sort of questioning into sort of into private practice? What, of myself or yeah. of colleagues? I try to. I try to. So if, especially if there's like a critical incident. Um, not that that happens very often. But or if there's like a, a moment where I feel I could have done better or like I'm missing something and I'm going and asking a colleague. It's like, OK, so did I was I along the right lines there? Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's nice to give people pos positive feedback. I think uh, there's people are so quick to criticize and so slow to to compliment. Absolutely. It's human nature. Yeah, unfortunately, though. But, and it wasn't until I was doing my um, sort of my prep work for this interview today or this, yes. this podcast recording where I was like, okay, what are my favorite memories of Louise? And that popped up. And then oh. I started actually doing it at the end of each of my working day in this week. Yeah. And it was interesting because I sat there and I was like, what did I like about this session or today? And I was yeah. like, okay, wasn't a whole lot today, but that's okay. Tomorrow will be better. Yeah, yeah. And it or was. It's like, it's like, you know, I I actually, you know, you, you get home sometimes and it can be very tiring, especially if emotionally tiring to be with somebody for half an hour and just be really present, um, especially if people have got, you know, intense personal situations going on. And sometimes it's actually nice to go, OK, well, I was able to support that person or, you know, I was able to to make I think make a difference there. Um, yeah. Yeah, and does that influence your ethos to practice? I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, I I try not to take criticism too much to heart, uh, but I I do take it very personally. But I try not to be so soaked in it that I can't see a way out yeah otherwise I think I'd have quit years ago years ago yeah, yeah. and I suppose as a student only because I've been there you know recently in that position you you don't live for but you're always seeking that external validation from an essay a grade from an essay or or, or your dissertation or a form a from a tutor and so you're almost conditioned to want feedback but also expect negative feedback so that you can do better yeah or you can use it to beat yourself up with some people just enjoy beating themselves up with these kind of things sorry yeah. to say it um i yeah i know the feeling and you know and then you get into private practice and it's a your head of practice or your colleagues and you know, their, their um, input becomes very important. And I think sometimes it's easy to forget that as somebody who's been in practice for a while. And I always think I've been glad to be, actually be that person that can go, okay, well, okay, so this didn't work. Have you looked at it from that perspective or this perspective or... 
oh, don't worry, they're just having a bad day. Just go off and, you know, come back, have a breather, come back and we'll we'll go through it and we'll try and work out how we can do it better next time. Yeah. And for me, having sort of colleagues around me in order to, to just vent at, literally, um, was the one thing that saved me from just yeah. quitting my job. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. How important was it to have, you know, people around you to be able to talk to about those kinds of things? Oh, so important. So important. And, you know, that's where, you know, the social side of being a student really helped. You know, I, when I was when I first graduated, I was living in Essex and my best friend was like 45 minutes drive away, which was wicked. So when you're a poor, poor student or new graduate and you can't necessarily afford to go to all the courses that you want to do, you know, just being able to meet up with a friend for a cup of coffee and go, you know, just kind of say, OK, well, this is going on and this is going on and, you know, I had this patient coming in with, oh my God, this all, all together weird presentation. What do you think? You know, and um, at the time, my, well, my best friend, she went off and did um, the course at the OCC. So the Osteopathic Centre for Children. So she's wicked when it comes to anything paediatrics. She's just, I think she's magic. But. And a good person to learn from because you've also <laughs> embarked on the pediatric route as well yourself yeah I think it's a start for me I mean our pediatric course um kind of fell apart when we were at VCOM um because I think it was just I, I don't know what happened but we were supposed to have um uh, we were supposed to have people coming in external people that just weren't and then we ended up with a tutor Andy Maddock lovely guy coming in and basically cramming a year's worth of pediatrics into a term or a term and a half wow which is intense in fourth year like intense um and so I never really felt like I had the time to kind of un unpack some of the skills I was already a little bit sort of nervous about handling babies and having them scream at me it's a bit late now to undo what I've done um <laughs> but you know it's it's just kind of one of those things and I was always a bit sort of tentative about um doing it on my own if that makes sense so taking a baby I was always afraid that I was going to miss something so when I was working in Essex, I just used to ferry them all to my friend. Be like, oh, my God, go and see this person. She's magic. She's my osteopath. She fixes me. Um, she's still my osteopath. She's, you know, one of my osteopaths, I should say. But she's just, yeah, I still think magic. Um, and so or when I worked in a big group practice in Suffolk, the the guy that I worked for was really into pediatrics and one of my other colleagues was a tutor at the OCC so again I, I just kind of go go see them go see them they're they're like experts they're much better than me and it was when um because I used to work with Sebastian um at BCom as a tutor and um and I still work with the new pediatrics guy at BCom on a Monday afternoon and but Sebastian was um, starting his 
um, pediatrics course and I went okay actually you know what it's it's a year it's a year's course he's really good he makes me feel very comfortable always has done such an such a kind soul actually um I think the time's right so that was December last year and by god it's pushed my cranial skills it's pushed my when we were still allowed to practice um it's you know and you know it's pushed my knowledge skills again you know you're never too old to learn or too far into the profession to learn something new and so what shifted for you from you know referring all these babies to your colleagues to being actually this is something that I want to be able to do this is these are patients I want to be able to treat well how long can you keep putting it off (laughs) how long how long could I keep putting it off you know especially you know I've I've, over the years I've treated pregnant ladies who've then tried to bring their babies to me and I'm like no and when I should have been going yes bring them all in bring them all in because as osteopaths, technically, we can treat pregnant ladies or within guidelines, within restrictions. But and we can't. We are technically uh, we're technically trained to treat babies, but I just think there are com- they have completely different needs to an adult. They're a completely different patient set, and it's just it's nice to be able to work with little people. They're great fun. Yeah. They're great fun. They bring such energy into a pre- into a practice. Yeah. And so obviously I had Sebastian Derosha as a tutor when I was doing my fourth year at B. Lucky thing. Yeah, so knowledgeable, just incredible amounts of knowledge. And you just have to keep up because he was on to the next thing by the time you're processing the last thing he said. He's just so quick as well. Yeah, um yeah. And so doing the course with him, what have you gotten out of it that you feel that cemented sort of that treatment um, modality or that treatment for for babies and young children? He's just so chill. He's just so chilled out. And when he comes and sees all these babies, it's like, you know, he just kind of walks in the room and everything seems to be okay. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, but he's also very uh, patient when it comes to teaching. So with the lockdown, we've been doing a lot of online seminars. So we haven't stopped learning. We just haven't been able to do it in practice, which is a bit annoying because, you know, it's none of our fault. But it's, you know, it's very difficult to, to be actually putting your hands practically on a baby or practicing cranial or whatever without actually being there Mm -hmm. theory can only take you so far yeah so I'm looking forward to getting back to that eventually he's allowing me a bit of maternity leave which is nice (laughs) well he just had the same situation himself so yeah Yeah. oh very happy for him yeah and so one of the things that when I was looking into you know doing a postgraduate pediatric course was just how much cranial was involved in it and so I you know I did the observations at the OCC and at, yeah. at BSO or UCO now yeah. and they, they all treated so differently 
everyone has a different perspective yeah you know and just because they're a child doesn't mean the only way you're going to treat them is cranially it's a great tool and it's a very useful tool but it's not the only tool um so i still mobilize and do massage or whatever a, a, a child needs mm-hmm. you know you just have to modify it i mean god it's very different mobilizing a, a three-year-old spine to mobilizing say a, a, a 20 or 30 year old bodybuilder you know you, you just have to modify what you're doing yeah and so how much cranial do you bring into your practice with pediatrics um I'm lucky I I did the I started doing some cranial in my first year postgrad um I went off and did the um BSO UK course which I found very helpful sort of going on from the the um BCom qualification and I've kind of built it from there one of the guys that I worked with um in Suffolk again is very very proficient at cranial and I learned a lot from him and reading books and sort of working with different patient groups I think a lot of it is based on cranial um, but you can't forget your technical structural skills I do think that um, another colleague said every all techniques whether they're cranial they're visceral they're classical or using an hvt they're all structural techniques whether or not they're working directly or indirectly um so they're all osteopathy you know i don't like saying i'm a cranial osteopath or i'm a you know visceral osteopath i'm an osteopath and how powerful is that to be able to say, you know, you're an osteopath, yeah. but you embody all these different kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, it's it's wonderful when you're working with a patient and you go, okay, well, this obviously isn't working. Shall we try something else? It takes a bit of, um, not always convincing, but it takes, <laughs> you know, a bit of confidence in your practitioner to to be able to go, okay, well, we'll, we'll try something different. Um, you know, and not everybody's the same. Yeah. yeah. And so the for anyone, problem, sorry, the only ahead. problem is though, that then when you start with, with a normal career, you, you get career progression. So you'll come in and say, oh, I'm a junior this, and then I'm a, a this, and then I'm a senior this, and then a director. You know, those, once you qualify as an osteopath, you are an osteopath. You know, there, there's no kind of, uh, there's no distinction, which is, is again, I said before, a double-edged sword. Yeah, it's interesting because I was having this conversation um, a couple of months ago with um, somebody that, not I, somebody that I know who's an osteopath, and we were having the exact same conversation about how, you know, there's no physical sort of, progression levels in private practice you know you and if he's listening he'll know exactly what I'm talking about and he'll probably be able to explain it so much better than I can but um, I remember I was struggling at the time because I am in an employed position um, in a very large institution and you know and you do wonder like 
you know, would I be better off in private practice? And he was just so able to break things down for me in the way that, you know, in private practice, there are no tiers essentially. So as you progress, you develop your knowledge, you develop, you know, your own style, you, you learn from others, but the most yeah. negotiation you might have is, is to negotiate your percentage. Yeah. yeah. Whereas where I am here and, and, and where I'm working here, there's, it's a bit different. There are prog like progressions, like there are things that you can work up towards. And so mm. it presents its own, you know, challenges definitely, but its own advantages at the same time. What you tend to find is that you tend to work in a slightly different way or you have different qualifications. So you might find um, in a big group practice that, you know, somebody goes, okay, well, that person works better in this way or that style and, and tend to funnel, um, tend to funnel patients, you know, one way or another way, um, which relies on having a good front of house system and somebody to triage on the telephone. Um, it also is that becomes problematic because then that you only end up seeing a certain demographic of patient. Um, so I don't know it there was a great saying when we were students if all you see is hammers or if the only thing into your in your toolbox is a hammer the only thing you'll see is nails so I love that yeah yeah and so do you have a type of patient that gets funneled to you or that is um sort of directed to you I don't know really I've never really sat and thought about it um I have had particularly diverse patient lists over the years. Um, working as an only osteopath um, presents some challenges and working within a group practice that's been around for quite some time, you do tend to, it does tend to attract people from the, the local areas. And so sometimes you'll, you'll get people coming in who haven't seen their GP yet. You're going, oh, this isn't quite right or you know I've had some patients with unusual pathologies or you know just as a diagnosis um I quite challenge I quite enjoy a challenge um not that a patient's a challenge mm -hmm. the challenge of working out how best to help them you can't always fix everything that was something I had to learn for myself you know quite early on you can't fit you know if you think you're going to go in and fix everything or fix everyone then you you're in hiding for nothing really what a humbling thing to say though because when you graduate you think I know all this stuff I know all these techniques and I've done all my pharmacology my pathology yeah. I'm just gonna go in and I'm just gonna you know fix everyone yeah because I am champion of the world yeah <laughs> yeah but you know you, you in family practice I mean I I could have say you know a 90 year old come in one appointment you know maybe 10 30 coming in with a shoulder problem and you know I'm trying to think back a few years to a particular patient where are a they were 90 living on their own and our goals of treatment um, were 
to be able to give them enough shoulder movement to hang things on the washing line and to get cans out of the cupboard. Yeah. Next patient comes in is a semi-professional dancer, shoulder problem. Their goals are to be able to literally lift somebody over the top of their head. You know, so <laughs> completely different expectations. Yeah. And I think actually going on postgrad courses and things like that, actually one of the things we need to manage ourselves is, is our own expectations of what we're gonna manage in, in the course of treatment and also what our patients expect of us. And then what our head of practice expects of us. <laughs> um, yeah. So you it's know, almost like I... you're juggling all these different expectations at the same time. Isn't that life? Yeah. Again, you know, you, you have that as a child, you have that as a, as a, as a person, as a, you know, as somebody within a family unit or as a friend, you know, we have all these expectations. And I think sometimes it's easy to forget when we get lost in our own expectations of ourselves. Took me a long time to learn that one. <laughs> I'm still learning that. Yeah, I, 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 I know it in theory. It's working, it's putting it into practice that I'm still working on. Yeah, and I think definitely working with, with patients and especially at the moment over sort of over the telephone is it's, it's really hard to get a sense of what a patient's expectations are and how to match that accordingly. Oh, yeah. And if somebody's really intelligent and knows, has done any kind of interviewing as well, they know exactly what you're asking of them and can work their way around it. Absolutely. I've been accused of, of not accused, but I've been told, like, I know what you're like, exactly what you said. They said, I know what you're asking from me, but that's yeah. not what it is. And I, it threw me. Yeah. And I, I, it's, I tend to then throw it around and go, okay, so what, what do you think is going on? And what, what do you, so if it's not where, what I'm asking you, what do you think it is? Or um, say when you're doing an interview, I mean that interview phase of an appointment. So somebody comes in for an appointment, you sit, you talk to them. You know, if it's a new patient, you're going through their case history. If they're a returning patient, you you ask them, well, what's brought you back? You know, is it the same problem? How's it been? How did you find the treatment last time? You know, it's sometimes, you know, and you'll be asking difficult questions like um, or asking about somebody's, I don't know, their, their intimate life or you'll be asking them about their bowel habits. And it's not something people expect to be asked about in an osteopath appointment, but there are certain things, particularly um, if we look at, say, low back pain. Um, for me, it's it's a fairly standard thing to ask. You know, if somebody's coming in with acute back pain, you know, what are your are your bowel and bladder behaving normally? Are you getting any change in sensation around your your sort of genitalia and back passage? Are you getting all of this and the reason is because we're screening for neurological compression and you're screening to see whether or not there's actually an active compression because the implications of missing that can be life-changing. But if a patient doesn't know, that's what you're asking. And they, they think, oh God, 
I'm just coming in with back pain. Why are you asking me all of these questions? And there's been a few times, particularly when you have only a short time frame to, to get that information out of somebody. I go, okay, look, the reason why I'm asking you is not because I want to know the ins and outs of your bowels. I just want to know that they're functioning. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes just turning it around and being blunt and actually um, just explaining your reasoning behind asking and by, behind taking a certain line of questioning actually can turn somebody's expectations around quite quickly especially yeah that's where I was trying to say yeah <laughs> yeah and so is there anything that you would have had liked to have known or anything that you'd like to have told yourself when you graduated something that you think that would have been good to know or that's some good advice be kinder to yourself I think that's just a life one just be kinder to yourself and just, you know, not everything's going to work out how you think it is, but actually sometimes the things that you really don't expect are going to be glorious. Yeah. Yeah. And you also spoke about cranial. Um, and I mean, I you've done some cranial work on me and it's been yeah. amazing. Oh. Um, yeah, definitely. I don't think I'm the expert. I don't think I'm like, oh, I know people who are. Um, my my friend who did the OCC courses, um, but you know, again, that's a work in progress. We keep learning. Yeah, and so Seb is really good as well. Yeah, yeah. I remember him walking into a room, just holding the baby. The baby would just stop crying, and I'm like, wait, hang on a minute. Whereas I've had one where the baby was crying for like twenty minutes straight. And he was still so calm at the end of it. And inside my, my whole like being was, was vibrating. And he just was like, still so calm. <laughs> but for anyone who wants to learn more about cranial or wants to start that practice or start learning about it, what would you tell them to do? Where would you tell them to go? Um, so there are a few places to go. So um, I did a course years ago at the U at UCO, which was quite good because UCO they are quite sort of structural, and they're like this is this, and this is that, and this is this. There's also the Sutherland Cranial um, College, and they're they're very good actually. They they have lots of different practitioners, and they they run almost cycles of courses um, from different aspects of cranial osteopathy. Um, you can go to places like um, the Osteopathic Centre for Children, which is sort of more geared towards sort of learning and doing a formal qualification um, in paediatrics, as is the UCO and LCPO. Um, it's, it's kind of fun being in that first year of Sebastian's course. Yeah. Um, You're the elders. You're the first ones. I know. I know, and it's such a fun group, actually. They're a really nice group. And it's a small group. That's not what I um, yeah. I, 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 I imagined. It's it's a really nice, small, intimate group. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, I'm talking as if I'm on it. I'm not. I've just been watching you this whole time. Well, you should have joined us. You will I next know. year, I hope. Fingers crossed, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I think I'm going to overlap onto that second year because of because of all the other stuff. 
I must admit it was really I had a I had a moment during the pregnancy where I was just waiting to have my um what was it my anomaly scan so that's a 20-week scan and I was writing a case report about a child with congenital abnormalities and I was like oh my god oh my god oh, oh my god well, life is good it's fine it's fine it's congenital just abnormalities <laughs> and so speaking of your pregnancy then like you know because obviously you you know you've gone throughout your pregnancy in a very very strange time yeah um how has even putting that aside yeah how has pregnancy changed the way you would practice or you would have practiced I think um it probably ha- would have changed how how I did certain techniques um recognizing that that I'm not superwoman <laughs> that I already have an underlying um very mild hypermobility issue anyway and so there are certain techniques in pregnancy that that you really aren't as aren't as conducive to looking after my own body um yeah and doing it during a pandemic is also very strange it's very strange working in masks it's doable you know it's perfectly doable working with masks and gloves and and aprons and things like that um it's just very strange having having a big belly getting in the way you know but i i have comfort i i had a a colleague in my multidisciplinary practice who i looked up to who worked up until 39 weeks of pregnancy wow yeah she was unbelievable unbelievable in a good way. Yeah, I mean, I'm tired on regular days. I can't imagine <laughs> trying to grow another human being inside me and do everything that I'm doing. It's not necessary the growing, growing the human being. It's the the insomnia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not God, being yeah. able to switch the brain off. And so, for you, like, what do you want? How do you see? I suppose your practice developing over the next five years for example I don't I really I'm at a crossroads so either I can go back into a system that I've worked in before and I know very well I'm happy to carry on teaching if they'll have me which I, I I'm sure they told would. they'll have me back um and or do I go back into working as an associate do I start my own venture it's it's all all up in the air at the moment but also at the same time I'm just looking forward to meeting this little human being yeah so it sounds like there's loads of exciting things coming through oh god yeah never a dull moment yeah and so what would you like from you talked about the system before so I assume you mean the the osteopathic sort of profession Mm. What would you like to see from the profession in terms of growth or change in the next five years? That's a really tricky question. Yeah, I didn't prep you for that one. I'm sorry. It's all right. There's there's so much good out there. There's so much good out there. And I think just remaining inclusive and being there for one another and supporting one another, um, you know, and... Maybe it would be nice to to be a bit more recognised outside of the profession 
maybe there are you know there's a lot of politics going on there's always a lot of politics going on and I'm not a politician by any stretch of the imagination um but you know just driving and pushing forward more if if more research is being done then that's brilliant yeah um to be able to be able to say more things um because there's so many wonderful things we can do as an osteopath that you can't necessarily um say without getting yourself into a, a whole heap of trouble um and yes i was around during all of that that big upheaval as well um and just maybe sort of reducing some of that stress um you know being able to be more open again again i don't know if that's the right thing to say or not it's the truth right and especially with in terms of research it's it's I think it's really important because I come from a from a research background and I know you've got the NCO who do a lot of osteopathic. Um, oh yeah, Carol um, Fawkes is amazing. Yeah. And they're really spearheading that. But I feel like in comparison to other professions, you know, we don't have as much research going on, be, you know, whether it's because of funding or just well, people. You know, there's there's the difficulty is we're all in private practice. You know, the vast majority of us are self-employed. So if you've got somebody that's going out and doing research, it's off your own back in your own time. And it's often costly, timely, time consuming. And, you know, we're not necessarily as a profession great at doing research that's going to be publishable. Mm. Um, And I think a lot of us kind of like to go out and do our own thing but don't necessarily come together to do that research side or there's research is, is a funny thing. I think there are, how do I put this? How do I put this succinctly? Science and research is, is great at asking questions. I don't necessarily think that we've got the tools yet to measure and to, to quantify the answers if that makes sense. Yeah. Or the right ways in which to frame the question. Because, you know, it, sham treatments, it, I mean, some, of the, some of the ways in which we'd research, I'm not sure would fit into the framework of how we practice. You know, I'm not sure the best way how to double blind study. Mind you, I'm not a great researcher. You know, we have some amazing researchers in osteopathy. You know, we've got iJOM, we've got um, we've got the team doing research at BCom and pushing that forward. We've got the team at UCO. So I did my my master's degree there, and the research team was epic um, and really pushing forward. We, like you said, we've got Encore, um, but we haven't necessarily got yeah i don't think we've quite worked out how to do it yet no and one thing that comes across from from when i'm working with physiotherapists is how much of their practice is evidence-based 
Yeah. And that's not to say that ours isn't, but yeah. we know there are so many things that we do well and we do really well, mm. but we can't turn around and say, this is evidence-based. I think there's a difference between evidence-based and evidence-informed. Okay, what's the difference? As well. So there's, you know, there's, there's a mixture between clinical judgment um, and, you know, having worked and seen things before and whether or not it says so strictly, strictly in literature. So, you know, if a piece of literature says that you have to do an exercise or you do something in a very prescri prescriptive way, um, whereas evidence informed, it, you, you're kind of reading the research, you're collating and you're actually then forming a judgment and really sort of sitting and digesting. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, I like that. And especially for people who aren't aware of all the research that does go into it. There's um, always research to read. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's always something, you know, I'm marrying a, uh, you know, a, a researcher, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, not a researcher in osteopathy, but in, in, a, in a different field. And, you know, there's always something, there's always something new, there's always something to read and, you know, it's like you know when you read the papers and they they say oh one week tomatoes are good for you and then you know the next week oh no don't touch a tomato you know it'll kill you, <laughs> you know, it's yeah you know, you've just got to read it and sometimes take it with a pinch of salt or really read between the lines yeah that was that was one of the great things the masters did for me you know and what are the things that you're reading at the moment that you're finding really interesting or really powerful or informative with a with a baby imminent I've, I've kind of slowed down on that research um but I was doing a lot of um pediatric research for this course that I'm doing um particularly with sort of case-based studies and learning and, and learning about different um conditions that can affect um that affect children affect pregnant women that are are happening in private yeah could just walk into your practice mm -hmm. um sometimes it's difficult not to overanalyze my own situation but then i think that's another thing with osteopaths who i think you go through a phase where you're like oh my god i've got this thing going on you know oh my god i've got this pathology my foot's going to drop off and then you go through a phase where you're just like ah you'll be all right oh everything's all right even if your foot is dropping off <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> and then and then you get to a pragmatic stage there's there's always a, there's that kind of fluctuation I think you just described the entire year we did pathology and diagnosis with Dr. Wassell where I was convinced I have I had every single medical condition he was talking about oh yeah oh yeah and you almost talk yourself into it it's like yeah I have a headache Oh, wait, yeah. do I have a brain tumor? You don't have a brain tumor. Stop it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think the hardest one is like thyroid because there's like so many different symptoms. You're just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Have I got underactive? Have I got overactive? I've been gaining weight during lockdown. You know, things aren't <laughs> going great. I'm tired all the time. <laughs> yeah. I'm, my hair is coming out because I'm pulling out. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, naughty sense of humor. <laughs> no, I love it. And that's what makes you so uniquely you. And that's what I really enjoyed about having you as a student in clinic is, is, you know, it's, 
that sense of humor comes across and that that optimism definitely comes across and you feel safe oh i'm glad to hear that yeah i'm glad to hear that like because i think sometimes students don't like it when i come in and talk or they don't necessarily get that i'm having a joke because i i do i do quite a good straight face you have a good <laughs> poker face I was going to say, how has that been, how has that translated for you in clinic, being able to start articulating different people, different types of people? I think you just do it. You know, it's like when you're talking, when you are talking to somebody, I, I mean, I don't, you know, you don't talk to a younger sibling the same way you talk to your mum. Or you don't talk to an older patient, uh, an older person the same you do a five-year-old. You know, it's, you, you you just end up adapting and sometimes um you rephrase the same thing four five six times um and I think sometimes the students in particular get very frustrated with this when I go in and I'll ask I'll, I'll be asking the same question but just in several different ways because sometimes I'm just like does the patient actually understand what I'm saying or I don't think I've got the full answer here mm-hmm yeah, I'm also a little bit sneaky, so sometimes I'll be chatting to patients and, and getting information out, you know, and in kind of a more relaxed way. So, And I remember that firsthand, I remember treating a patient and you were just talking to them and I'm just thinking, oh, thank God, I can just carry on with the treatment. And then you, and then you brought it back and you're like, did you pick up on this and this? And I was like, wait, that's why you're asking them the questions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you... some, some students really hate that because I've had the comment that, you know, um, I think I had the comment that, you know, you're not there to build a relationship with my patient, um, which I found particularly difficult. Um, mm. But because that's just how I am in as a person. Um, but at the same time, I've been in before where um, I've walked in and there was something underlying that the, the tone was slightly off and it turned out the particular patient had been bereaved. Um, in fact, this has happened more than once um, fairly recently and it hasn't come up in conversation and whether or not, you know, I, I think sometimes patients will see a tutor in a different way and, they will definitely act differently when a tutor's in. I, I remember that from being a student myself. But sometimes it's also being there with a student to actually deal with a person who is in that stage of grief and actually realising how much of an impact that can have. Or, you know, sometimes the patients will be more open with us than they will be with their student. Absolutely. And I never take that out on a student. Yeah, it's a learning experience and that's part of the part of the part of the journey in a way. Each patient experience is a learning experience. Yeah, even when you finish and you're just working in private practice. Especially when you're in private practice. You know, because sometimes it's just having 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 ideas reinforced. Sometimes it is or you're you're learning different ways to approach the same problem. Yeah. You know, or you're having to learn independence which is massive in your first year of practice. It's such a steep learning curve, your first 18 months. 
oh my gosh, I remember just being scared yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm, I'm in, a, I'm in a room alone with a patient, and I don't have anyone I can call. Yeah. Like, what if I make a mistake? And you're not going to, because you've been trained well to, you know, rule out yeah. all your red flags and everything. But but I still, I think, I think you shouldn't have that. If you're working in a group practice, you should be always, you, you shouldn't have that reticence to call somebody in. Like I remember calling my head of practice in a couple of years ago because I had a patient come in with an unusual rash and I just I thought oh it looks like this but it can't be this you know and I got I got them in and it was exactly what I thought it was and um, I think the patient had shingles um, and I was like oh that is communicable um, <laughs> they haven't seen the doctor yet let's let's get to go see a doctor <laughs> Good cat, yeah. But, you know, it was just a slightly unusual presentation or, you know, even even now when I'm in clinic and, you know, I've got other tutors going in. I think my last day in clinic when I was there, I got Dr. Wassell in on one of my students' patients because there was something going on. They hadn't gone to the doctor like I'd, like I'd asked them very specifically to do. And I was like, right, okay. I know one of my colleagues is a doctor. <laughs> Why not see if he can have a look and see what's going on? Mm. Yeah. And sometimes have, being able and communicating that in front of students and seeing how we interact as colleagues is, is as important. Yeah. Well, I've always appreciated the, the energy and the candor and just the, the sense of, calmness you bring into clinic not just as a lecturer or as a clinic tutor but even just as a person when you come into a room thank you so yeah I've always appreciated and that's something that I always think about and I try to emulate as best I can um, I think you do you do definitely even though sometimes we feel like a duck you know <laughs> we're like serene on the surface and paddling away like mad underneath absolutely mm -hmm. so yeah so I wanted to thank you and thank you for coming on and sharing all your experiences I think it's just been wonderful having you just talk about you know the pediatrics and the cranial side mm -hmm. and how that all of that all of that just shapes you and and that you don't have to just stay stagnant in your practice how boring is that I know right if if you're in it for the long haul you know you you've got to be able to learn and adapt who wants to be doing the same thing that they learned at uni, you know, 20, 30, 40 years on? Yeah, it's the foundation for a reason. Yeah. 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 Thanks for having me. I'm sorry if I've yammered on a bit. I've loved it. Yeah. We need to have just more conversations like this where we just talk about store market and, and Barry oh, and yeah. in general. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I, I genuinely did love my time there, honestly. Yeah. Me too. And thank you so much for coming here today. And yeah, hopefully we'll see you very soon with a little bundle. Yeah. I have to I have to work out how to how to get up there. <laughs> COVID reliance. We'll come down. We'll come down. Yeah. No, I'd love that. I'd love that. Thanks, Louise. Take care, honestly. And keep up the good work. You too. Thank you so much.